Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Canal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. In 2014, over 16 million tons of textile waste was generated. An average American throws away approximately 80 pounds of used clothing per person. Our guest today is the founding dean of DIDI, a world-class design education in the Dubai design district. She has been in the fashion industry for more than 30 years. She's a journalist, writer, researcher, and ethical fashion activist, as well as the author of two published books, Eco Fashion and Refashioned. Crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Sass Brown. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome to the channel. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You're most welcome. It's such a beautiful space um, here where we are today in DIDI. Um, so Sass, how did your journey with sustainability and the eco-fashion industry start? Um, it was pretty um, organic. Like I think many people's journeys are ultimately. It wasn't a plan. I mean, I've been a fashion designer my entire life. I've always been in the fashion industry. Um I can't say I really had a light bulb moment as many people do where they suddenly are faced with either terrible sweatshop conditions or they're faced with the amount of waste and then they go, wait, I can't be part of this. My journey was a little different actually. Um, it actually came through uh, working with women's cooperatives. So I happened to be asked when I was first started to teach, uh, when I was getting out of the industry and started teaching at FIT about 18 to 20 years ago now, just as a, an adjunct still working in the industry as a designer, I was asked to participate on behalf of FIT at a conference on textiles in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And so it just happened that I'd, I'd read an article just a couple of weeks before I was ready to leave on a women's cooperative that was based there. And it was so interesting. It was about designer Carlos Mielli, who was working with a women's cooperative in Rio, in the favela, and working with traditional craftsmanship. And I was so interested in it that I reached out to the organizers of the conference that I was going to, and I said, do you know these guys? And they're like, duh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, super famous Brazilian designer. <laughs> and I said, can you put me in touch with them and the women's cooperatives? And they're like, sure, absolutely. So I I have no idea who Carlos thought I was when I arrived because there was every press book, leather bound, video, lookbook, you name it, waiting at my hotel for me when I arrived. I think he thought I was someone far more important than I really was. And uh, I also had uh, an introduction to the uh, the director of the women's cooperative that he was working with in the favela. And it just started an entire journey. I was so impressed by the work that these women were doing in the, the middle of, of the largest ghetto in South America, Hosinia, 100 
I want to say 130, it might be 180,000 residents. Um, it's the largest single slum or was, perhaps something else has beaten it by now, in all of South America. So um, obviously, you know, a great amount of prejudice, of poverty, of drugs, of violence, a lot of things going on. But in the midst of that, some very beautiful stories and some very amazing people. And so the woman I met, Maria Teresa Lial, otherwise known as Pete, had founded a cooperative in Hosinia, which was working with some world-class fashion designers, interior designers, installation artists to do a craft component of whatever their installations or designs were. I was just so impressed with the work that she was doing. Here she was working with, or the women were working with Carlos Mieli, with Oshklin, uh, with Lenny, with major Brazilian designer names and European and, and North American ones, um, Anne Klein, Cacherelle, CNA. Uh, I was just so impressed with the work that I went back to New York, wrote a grant and spent the next summer just volunteering with them. Not really with any major <laughs> plan in mind, just, you know, what you're doing super cool, what can I do to help kind of thing. Very and inspiring. Yeah, so sort of I, at that time I was I was fortunate enough to be teaching full-time so you know teachers have the the nice advantage of a three-month summer break and a one-month winter break goodness knows they need it to recover from the semester but it's a time as a as an educator or as a researcher or a writer that you do your research you get you know you fill up your well of creativity if you like so you can give back during the semester so I ended up spending the next five years every summer and every winter break so four months a year in Brazil um, and working with this cooperative and that led to other work in Peru um, it led to work teaching at some universities they're just lectures or workshops lecturing for um, the trade council and various other things so that sort of was the beginning of my journey it was really through artisanship and craftsmanship and how undervalued and devalued it was um, and what a struggle it was to have it recognized by major designers and to collaborate with them on an equal footing to western craftsmanship um, so it really came that route when we like hear the word like eco fashion mm. some of us might think it's restricted <laughs> to like only hemp and cotton and you know like you're kind of tie-dye for coloring but you've been able to make people see eco fashion in a different light i hope so <laughs> <laughs> that was the plan <laughs> how, how would you define eco fashion i think Ethical fashion really is, it's fashion with a conscience. It's something that makes an impact, a positive impact on our world. So, you know, there's no nirvana in designing clothing ethically. You can't be locally made, fair trade, 100% organic, low impact, you know, no carbon footprint or carbon zero. Um, you can't do everything at once. There is no perfect response to the problems that we have in our industry. You have to choose where your values are and you have to choose what you can tackle and what you can do well and make it a journey um, so that you're consistently improving and getting better and you're being very honest and open because if you set yourself up as you know the perfect solution you're going to be shot down because there is no perfect solution right now for me it's really doing everything you can with the conscience and questioning it you know I come from a, a generation of fashion designers that weren't taught to question we were taught there was a single system and if you wanted to have any 
type of success. You had to follow, follow that system. You have to produce clothing in size zero, you know, six months to a year in advance. You have to have agents. You have to do fashion shows. You have to wholesale. You have to, you know, do all of these things that, that we were taught never to question, that if you wanted to be a success, you had to follow that system. So I think that the big thing is questioning and challenging why we do what we do. Is there a better way of doing something? And do you actually believe in it? So I think it's making a difference. I mean, there are there are levels, of course, of how much you can make a difference. Yeah, and I feel especially in the in this time and age we're in now, I think people aren't also still fully aware that you get fast fashion and you get eco brands. And, you know, I feel people don't really necessarily see, you know, why? Why am yeah, I going to pay absolutely. more for garments that I can, you know, get for so cheap at absolutely. another store? And I think around education, that is such a key and important thing that we need yeah. to, to take into consideration. And especially with the, the youth of today, I'm so excited about them mm-hmm. because they ask questions. Yeah. And they ask hard questions (laughs) and we need that. We need brands to step up and be able to, to kind of take accountability for the actions that they, that they take. I think education is huge and whether it's in the formal sector, such as, you know, within a a degree or whether it's in the informal sector, whether it's social media or blogs or websites, I think it's super important because your average person really doesn't understand the impact of the clothing they have or the clothing that they wear and they purchase and what they're paying for with their dollars, dirham, whatever it is. And and I, I still find that quite shocking that in this day and age, you know, with all of the slow food movements and everything else that's happened, that people still aren't aware of the impact of their clothing and how huge it is. I and mean, it wasn't that long ago when I was, before I moved to New York, uh, before I moved from New York rather to Dubai, I had a, a conversation with just a, a neighbor in the building I was living in. And he said, so what do you do? And I said, I work in ethical fashion. And he said, what's that? And I'm like, wait, you're an intelligent human being. You know what the word ethical means and you know what the word fashion means. Why, when you put these two words together, does it suddenly become nonsensical and you don't understand what it means? It just (laughs) confounds me still that, you know, after all this time, there's so little recognition or understanding of the massive impact that the fashion apparel textile industry has on our environment, on our human footprint, on our carbon footprint, on pollution. You know, it's staggering. And yet we've done and not for want of trying, a really bad job at communicating this to the greater community. I think to a, to a degree, it's it's a, the imbalance of power, clearly. But, you know, your average consumer really has no idea. And that has to change. Yeah, and I feel, especially when people look at just like the water footprint mm-hmm. of clothing, I mean, jeans are probably one of the worst yeah. things where a pair of jeans is something like 11,000 litres of water to make a pair of jeans. Companies like Levi's is trying to work on mm-hmm. that now to reduce it. 
But um, sometimes you need people to understand that yeah. and to know that, you know, 11,000 liters for one jean, maybe I shouldn't buy 10 pairs. Yeah, so- I, I think that the, the footprint of, of textiles and fashion is, is huge. And as I said, I think we've done a really poor job of getting this information out. There are companies like, as you mentioned, like Levi's that are making a major impact that are replacing, you know, horrendous um, parts of the process, such as sandblasting or uh, stonewashing, which are either have a, an impact on the people doing the sandblasting or on the water and the, the waste that comes out of, of stonewashing, replacing it with, you know, low water dye processes or laser deconstruction instead of sandblasting and sanding. So there are, there are certainly companies that are making an impact but I, I think that we're still challenged with what is not an uncommon problem. If they're doing well in this, what does that say about everything else? So, you know, I had a, I, I worked quite a bit with um, the creative community and, and emerging designers. And so I had a, a, a jeweler come to me some years ago and said, you know, I'm starting to use, I do a line of bio uh, resin jewelry but how do I promote it without saying but by the way the rest of my jewelry isn't bio and therefore has a far greater impact (laughs) you know so how do you promote the good you're doing without devaluing or without giving bad press to the stuff you're not doing and of course the brands and the the not doing is far larger and far greater than the good that's being done right now so it's a sort of bit of dichotomous Um, but I think that honesty and transparency is a huge part of that conversation. (laughs) Yeah, I feel also if you're, if you're as a company, you know, you're kind of starting with Mm -hmm. this, but you know, you're moving to a more Mm -hmm. sustainable company, then, you know, to be open and honest and not like kind of greenwash. Yeah, that's, um, that's fatal. It's just fatal. Because that's happening quite a lot. How would a company kind of like an eco brand Mm -hmm. define themselves? as an eco-brand company? I think, you know, you have to be very careful with wording. um, And I think you have to be very honest that you're not um, suggesting that you do everything, that you can do everything, but that you're trying and that you want to listen to your customers and you want to do better. But this is what you're starting with. Um, And I think when you're honest and you're open, particularly with your failings, people respect that. We're not in in an era where, you know, branding can afford to be perfect because we know our world isn't perfect and we know garment production is far from perfect. So if that's all we promote and all we talk about engenders a certain inauthenticity right from the beginning because it can't possibly be true yeah. and I feel it's very important to also kind of see the whole loop you yes. know from where the the fabrics are coming from where where do they yeah. get the textiles and then also how it's made like you know what is the working conditions that these people mm-hmm. actually work in sure. and um, you know if you think of like Rana Plaza mm. And, you know, all of those things that has an effect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I for one, are very more keen on paying, even if it's double for a garment mm-hmm. that's a good quality mm-hmm. and that I know these people are treated fair, they get a mm-hmm. fair wage and, 
you know, it's not like a massive mm-hmm. <laughs> production thing. So I think people need to ask questions and they need to ask that to their suppliers. And There's the value in fashion revolution, yeah. right? Who made my clothes? Exactly. Um, you know, fashion revolution week and calling the brands to be accountable for who made my clothing, where did they make it, how was it made, what is the impact? And, you know, there is part of the challenge that, um, you know, fashion has uh, since, the, you know, for a long time divested itself of its responsibility in that supply chain by saying well we don't actually own the factories we don't manufacture the goods ourselves we contract it out yeah, but you still pay for it so you have a you have a, a responsibility in that the challenge is of course that you know production of apparel has become such a complicated supply chain who grows the raw material the fibers or how is it extracted where is it extracted from what are the processes how are they treated all the way through the wet processing process of textiles whether it's dyeing printing uh, finishing etc I mean they're incredibly wasteful uh, polluting processes in general and they're not owned by the brands so you know that and they're so far down the supply chain that many of them have no idea what's going on in their supply chains and that's a challenge and that's the big challenge is getting them to take responsibility for it to understand it and to assure ensure that it's done ethically yeah because we are continuously like evolving Mm -hmm. but when we look at a lot of the mainstream fashion companies you know their garments the a lot of the methods that they use you know it's it's kind of the same and it's been the same for kind of decades what would you like to see change in the future for some of these companies i think i'd like to see total transparency and honesty because then people at least can make choices um, it's not about shoving sustainability down everyone's throat, although it probably should be, but, uh, it, it, you know, you can't, it doesn't work that way. Yet. So I think that total transparency and uh, publication of where you produce, how you produce, who produces, under what conditions, what the water footprint, the environmental footprint is of your production. I, I would love to see a labeling system, you know, where a company has to declare on a garment what their environment environmental and human footprint is to produce that garment just like you expect to see what contents there are on a drink that you buy or on on the food that you purchase to know what impact you're having and I guarantee if companies were being honest about their footprint we could probably end fast fashion overnight because if somebody was looking at you know like you look at a cigarette packet and you see a a photo of somebody's um, you know corrupted lungs if you were to see a photo of a, a child uh, garment sweatshop worker or a, a pristine waterway that's being polluted through the dyeing process, I guarantee everyone would at least think twice yeah, definitely. Uh, before they purchased it. I think so too. I think that is so, so important. And I believe it was in California where they are actually working on trying to incorporate a label signage as mm-hmm. well. Um, you know, that anything, I think it was with polyester, um, don't quote me on this, mm. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it was something that if it's 50% more um, made of, of, if the garment's 50% more polyester, mm-hmm. then they have to kind of, they wanted to put a logo to also in, tell people that, you know, this will release microplastics mm. and fibers in, in the water stream so that they're kind of aware of these things. And um, so currently the bill hasn't passed. Mm. I hope at some point it does, but I, I do think labeling 
is important like you know you obviously check your label to see how you wash it and sure. you know why don't you check that before you buy it and to see you know what is inside how is it made where well, is it from I think again it's about knowledge and education I mean you know how how much information your average consumer has or how much they bear it in mind when purchasing I mean when you're buying a top how many people actually go oh wait this has got polyester in it will it um, emit microfibers in the laundering process that will get into the the water table. I, I don't know that that's a conscious process, but I think if it was on a label, it might be. I think the challenge with labeling systems is that they need to be universal. You can't have a multitude of different labels in different places. It just leads to confusion. And microbeads or microfibers uh, is only one part of the problem. Mm. And that's the challenge. It's not an easy conversation to talk about sustainability in the fashion and the apparel textile sector because it's so complex. You know, you're talking about pollution. You're talking about carcinogens in the dye processes. You're talking about the effect that has on people wearing those clothes, as well as the pollution in waterways or soil table. You're talking about the disposability of clothing and landfill problems, the recyclability problems of frankenfabrics. Once there's more than one fiber in there, the difficulty or the impossibility of then recycling the fabrics because you can't separate the fibers. Yeah. Even if it is monofab but then you've probably got po- different uh, linings or pocketings or threads or whatever. So then you have to deconstruct the garment to recycle it. So there are so many complications in this supply chain that honestly, I think people switch off after a while. You know, it's like, okay, enough. Can Too you just much, yeah. tell me what's good or what's bad? End of topic. Exactly. And it's just simply not that simple. So what would you say? What are some of the things that you look out for when you look at like an ethical clothing brand? I think, you know, when I'm purchasing myself, I tend to purchase when I travel or I tend to purchase when I'm, uh, I tend to purchase from emerging designers locally. By default, you're investing in local economy if you're purchasing locally. The chances are, I mean, you know, you have to talk to the designer, but they probably are not importing a great amount of their textiles because a large designer can't afford to go to a small designer rather can't afford to buy reach minimums for importing from most of the the major textile manufacturing hubs so chinese fabrics etc so they're probably sourcing locally now in a place like dubai that's a little bit more challenging than most because there really isn't a textile supply chain here everything else does come from somewhere else so by default you are investing still in carbon footprint and imported fabrics that you probably can't track and trace when i'm traveling i will usually purchase or invest in local artisanship and craftsmanship and invariably directly from the artisans as opposed to a store or a somewhere unless it's a you know a cooperative or owned by by the artisans so and then I tend to purchase quite a bit of vintage as well because um, I, I love uh, you know particular styles that just simply <laughs> aren't available or designers yeah. that I couldn't afford in the season <laughs> so it is not uncommon for some fast fashion brands to release new products weekly to mm. keep up with the trains instead of introducing new lines on a seasonal basis. So what is your take kind of on this whole fast fashion? Oh gosh, it's such a double-edged sword. I mean, um, there's some very interesting conversations going on now about circularity in textiles and in apparel. If you can use waste as resource, then 
perhaps you can even speed up the fashion cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's conversations. It's not a silver bullet response. Um, obviously, there are greater energy footprints if you're recycling rather than just continuing using. And there are so many impacts within the, the garment life cycle, the consumer phase, all of the washing, you know. So there are a lot of ways of, of um, tackling this. But I think inevitably when clothing is devalued to the same cost as a, a coffee, it's going to be viewed with the same disposability. Um, it's clearly not made for longevity. Um, it's either trend-driven, so you probably don't want to be seen dead in it in another three months' time anyway, um, or it's just simply not made of high-quality fabric, high-quality manufacturing, so it won't actually last terribly long. So, um, I mean, if you do the math on where uh, percentages, how much value you get out per out of a garment per wear, so let's say a fast fashion item top that you just wear a single night out, you may never wear it again, it sits in the back your wardrobe and you throw it away three months later because it's no longer in fashion or it doesn't fit or it's just not it's just worn out (laughs) Um, or you're investing in something much more expensive that you wear multiple times if you actually do the breakdown a ratio breakdown of cost to wear it actually be can be cheaper if you're investing in something that you wear multiple times because you love it because it has a story because it's hard wearing because it's beautiful because it's made from quality fabrics in a quality way so there's a sort of misunderstanding, uh, I guess, of the value of clothing. And it's not that much cheaper in many cases if you're paying $20 or whatever it is for a top that you end up never wearing. Yeah. Then you're paying $100 for something that you end up keeping for years and wearing over and over again because you love it and it means something to you and it's beautiful and it, it has longevity in built into it. So I think there are, there are many different responses to this but fast fashion is ultimately it's not even whether it's trend driven or not it doesn't matter whether it's fashionable it's cheap clothing ultimately you know badly made out of poor quality fabrics out of poorly manufactured that isn't intended to last it's clothing that's made with disposability in mind that's problematic when you add trend adds another layer to that because then you add to the fact that you probably don't want to wear it next season because it's not fashionable anymore it's not on trend so the there are enormous problems there but I think there are also enormous opportunities I mean I would love to see big high street fashion brand do ongoing collaborations with designers for their waste instead of uh, the next designer collaboration that they they get lots of publicity out and sells out overnight and is in their flagship stores why not do it with the same designers but using their own waste these are huge manufacturers that manufacture an enormous amount of waste here so why not do something in those ways instead of a small capsule collection um, or as well as a small capsule collection I think there are enormous opportunities enormous manufacturers have an enormous impact so if you can affect change with them you have a very great impact i 100 percent agree mm. with you on that i think that is that is a brilliant mm. brilliant thing and i hope really that some of the the companies start doing that like with h&m as well they've just 
launched like a sustainable range, which I'm quite excited about, but I haven't done that much research mm-hmm. in it. So I still need to investigate and see, you know, mm-hmm. how sustainable it is and what's, what is happening with that. Um, but yeah, I feel a lot of the times people need to realize when they purchase something with fast fashion, like what you mentioned, you know, it might have a cheap price tag. Mm. But it actually is quite expensive in the long run because yes. you're going to replace the stuff more often. Yeah. And obviously, you know, the effects that, that it has on the environment, you sure. know, we, we're going to pay that price as and, well. And, so. and that's what we call the hidden price tag, right? It's the <laughs> price tag that you don't pay at the till as a consumer, but the person producing that garment or that textile or growing that fiber um, or the environment are the ones that actually pay the real price for its production. You have currently two published books. Mm. Um, The one is eco-fashioned and then refashioned. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, Eco-fashion was the first one. And I brought it out because at the time I felt there was so much really amazing work being done by designers around the world with a conscience. And it wasn't really being talked about. What was being talked about was the crunchy granola, the political protest t-shirts, boring beige, tie-dyed. And the only books that were out at that time were how do you recycle your t-shirt into a grocery bag or, you know, things like that, which so DIY based. All very valuable but I wanted to talk about really amazing design that was happening whether it was with recycled fibers whether it was fair trade whether it was upcycled whether it was a new business model all of these things and independent designers were talking about them on their own websites but what's happened with fashion um, and particularly with ethical fashion is it's very democratically spread around the globe so it's not about the US or the UK it might be a fantastic designer in Nigeria or Valparaiso, Chile, or Manchester in the UK. And so there didn't seem to be anybody connecting these dots. And I was just frustrated with the level of conversation on ethical fashion. It was being thrown in books next to energy-saving appliances and recycled wood tables. And I'm like, come on, (laughs) since when is a fashion aficionado, a fashionista, really care about this stuff? They want to see fashion. So I thought it was really important to publish a book, to write something about um, what great design was being done that didn't compromise aesthetics, that didn't compromise style but was being done with a conscience and around the world so that was the the first book which led to the website or they were sort of symbiotic um and then the second book refashioned sort of came out of the first one because i just simply didn't have enough space in a chapter to write about <laughs> the number of designers that were working with upcycled materials with a pre or post consumer waste there's just such fantastic work being done there that it sort of warranted its own book book three sort of been in the works forever and i i really don't know when i'm going to find the time <laughs> to do it but it's meant to be on um on Uh, slow fashion on artisanship and craftsmanship and uh, how it or who is is working in the high fashion end with it cool well definitely looking forward to to that one (laughs) what has been one of your most important decisions that you've made around mama earth um you know, I think honestly, it's it's just about becoming the person that talks about what other people are doing. Really, I end up curating content more than anything, whether it's my books, my website, uh, the articles I do, the interviews. So I think, you know, the thing that I have done and I continue to do is to talk about what other people are doing and how you can impact 
your own footprint by investing in these other people and what great work they're doing. So I would say it's probably my communication. It's not really a decision per se. Obviously, there are a multitude of small decisions I've made, whether it's not using plastic straws or always having a, uh, a recycled water bottle, investing in local emerging design or design that makes a difference, artisanship, all those things. But they weren't really decisions. They were sort of journeys yeah. <laughs> and they continue to evolve. <laughs> Okay, cool. So we are now going to move into our final five questions. Okay. So it's just five questions that I ask every single guest. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just short answers, however you would like to answer okay. them. So the first one is, what is one social media account that you follow? Oh, gosh, one. Um, Greenpeace um, have been massively important in talking about the environmental, fo- environmental footprint of textiles. So I would say Greenpeace. Okay. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? Gosh, well, my hope for sustainable fashion is that we never have to use that word again, that all fashion will be sustainable. Um, So that as designers, as manufacturers, as brands, as producers, that we produce by default ethically. And what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to help out Mama Earth? I think if there's one small thing you can do that changes uh, how you do how, how your daily life, whether it's giving up straws, you know, simply asking every time you ask for a drink, please, no straw, whether it's always carrying a recycled water bottle, whether it's always carrying a recycled bag um, with you instead of having to take a plastic bag. I think they're, they're little things that are easy to do and can have a massive impact. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet in, on a sustainable journey? You know, I, I'm, I'm pulling away from facts because there's so much controversy about verification of numbers. You know, how much water does a pair of jeans or a cotton t-shirt take? How much? That depends upon the manufacturer and what process it's going through. You know, is the fashion and textile industry the third largest water user or is it actually the sixth? And the documentation on these things is is uh, is difficult and to verify and and quite complex. Um, I think ultimately, the fashion industry has a massive impact on the environment, whether it's through pollution, whether it's through water footprint, uh, whether it's through chemical use. Uh, whether it's through the disposability of the fabrics and the garments at the end of life and on the people that produce it. And whether it's first, second, third, fourth or sixth, ultimately we have the ability to change how we do business and how we consume. Sas, where can people find you? Gosh, um, uh, social media is probably the best place, whether it's my Facebook account, which is uh, just Sass Brown, whether it's my Twitter account, which is under Clothing Ethics, um, I still maintain my website, but it's pretty archived, which is ecofashion.com. Nevertheless, there are thousands of designers and resources on there. I'm just no longer updating it. So probably through so- my social feeds, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, etc. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for agreeing to be on the podcast. Um, I'm sure we all learned a lot. Like I know I've learned a lot from, from everything that you're doing. And definitely, guys, if you haven't checked out the books definitely um try and get your hands on a copy and we are all looking forward to the third one me too (laughs) thank you very much it was an absolute pleasure and that's a wrap thank you so much for listening 
You can find the show notes for this episode at mamaearthtalk.com. Follow at Design by Mariska on Instagram or email hello at mamaearthtalk.com. And let me know if there's a topic you'd like me to talk about. I love hearing from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every Monday with a bonus Top Tip Thursday every Thursday. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss anything. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.